Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, what a privileged church it is to be here with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's cold outside, but it's warm in here because we have the Holy Spirit and we praise Him. Uh, what, a, what a blessing your church is to me and I know to so many in this community. Uh, I thank you, church, for the way that you hold high, uh, good, solid doctrine and theology, but how you also care for those in your midst here in Columbus and around the world, and how as a church body, you are already caring for, in so many ways, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the alien, and the outcast. And so I hope this morning, if nothing else, that the Word of God and the gospel found in His Word would encourage your hearts, would strengthen you in the work that you're already doing on behalf of the orphan and the widow, the vulnerable, and the needy. I I love the work this church does. I love that even Springer comes up during the offertory to invite this church to give, both locally but also globally. And so we're grateful to partner with you in Uganda, and I bring greetings from my brother, from another mother, Pastor Raphael. Uh, Certainly he wishes he could be here uh, with you as well, and he is a dear brother, and I know he loves this church and loves your pastor and his family, and so it's just a true delight on my heart to be here. Uh, I did bring my family, as Springer said, and they are such a delight to me and round out my whole biography, as you could say. My wife and I uh, have two different personalities. We're actually complete opposites. At one point at Lifeline, we decided to do the Myers-Briggs personality test, and you get these four random letters assigned to you as your personality. And we were actually being told about our personalities, and one of the things that the guy that was telling us about, he showed us this chart, and there's 16 personality types on this chart. And he says, well, find your four little letters. And so I found mine. And he says, if you'll go two down and two over, this is your exact opposite. This is the person you're least compatible with. So I went two down and two over, and there was my wife's name right there with her four little letters. And I realized that we had completely different personalities. But my wife is a treasure. The Lord has used us in our differences. Uh, I am a risk taker. She is a homebody. Uh, I like being gone. She likes being at home. You know, we, we, we compliment each other. We say a lot of times, if I were by myself, I would probably be dead in a foreign country. And if she were by herself, she'd still be at home. Uh, but the Lord has absolutely stretched us in so many different ways and blessed us with lovely children, Caleb, who's 13, Adeline, 11, and Emily, 8. And this morning, It is my privilege to open up the Word of God with you. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or e-reader, if you would go ahead and go to Psalm 146. In Psalm 146 today, we are going to look at the God who seats the outcast, the father to the fatherless, the one who is is looking to care for the the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable, and the one who invites us into this work. And we're going to see more about him And as Springer said at Lifeline, we don't just want to care for orphans and vulnerable children by giving them a nice, comfortable place or a a, a nice house on a cul-de-sac, a new bike for Christmas and a picket fence, but we want to introduce them to the true gospel and to the true Father, the Father who seeks them out, the Father who calls us to what we are called to do. So Psalm 146, as we're going to look at this morning, is one of the first of the Hallelujah Psalms. So the book of Psalms rounds out with these five hallelujah psalms, and they're all hallelujah because the refrain of each one of these starts with hallelujah or praise the Lord. 
And these are, these, are, these are psalms that are praising God. And this morning, I want us to see that when we care for the outcast, that it's really an act of worship to our God. When we care for the orphan, when we care for the widow, when we care for the vulnerable, we're really doing it out of worship to God. We aren't the salvation and we aren't the heroes in the story, but we are expressing our great worship to God that while we were estranged, he sought us out. That he did not leave us as orphans, but he sought us out. And because of that, we worship God by caring for others. And so I know we've just sat down, but I'm actually going to ask you to do something. Y'all might not be your, uh, your custom every week, but will you stand with me as we, as we sing and read Psalm 146? It's a hallelujah psalm. It's a praise psalm. And so let's praise the Lord by standing up. This is what David says, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord Yahweh his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you even this morning as we get ready to look more deeply at Psalm 146. You are the God of all justice. You are the God of all mercy. You are God that is holy and righteous, and yet you are God that stooped down that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, as we look at this passage and unpack what it means to to serve the Father to the fatherless, a God who seeks the outcast, Lord, if there are those in this room who have never surrendered their life to Christ, may today this gospel that's found in this book and found in this psalm be what you use to call them to saving faith in you. And Lord, for those of us who are already the redeemed, who are already adopted by the blood of Christ, may this gospel, may may it be used by you to propel us to care for others, propel us to do things outside of our comfort zone, and propel us to trust in you and where you take us. Lord, be with us as we open up this word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as we see in this psalm, how glorious is our God, right? In all of his ways, in all of his nature, he alone is worthy to receive worship. There's nothing under heaven and on earth that's worthy of worship but our God. And he has created a people in his image. And that image has been marred as we see hurt and pain go throughout this world. I actually just returned uh, from India. I was in India last week in four different cities. And one of the things that I see all around India is you realize that life has been devalued. There are 1.3 billion people plus that live in India. And life is not precious in India. And it's sad because God created life to be precious. He created life in his image. 
He is a God that creates, and he is a God that gives us the, the un, uh, this, this in ourselves the, the, the will and the desire to care for those created in his image. But we also see in this psalm that the name that's used for God most often is Jehovah. Jehovah is the name of God that's used in Psalm 146, and Jehovah means almighty. And so we see through this psalm that there is power in no other name but the almighty name of the God of Jacob. Psalm 146 shows us that the almighty power of God is honed in on bringing justice, relief, vindication, and help for the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. And so this morning, I want us to know we have a God that seeks out the outcast with both compassion, but also with power. And this psalm shows us that gospel-driven justice for the poor and needy is ultimately, like we said, an act of worship. When we show compassion to the helpless and destitute, we are showing the world, our neighbors, and the outcast that we believe that our God is worthy. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the opposite of love is indifference. And this morning, beloved, we have a God that was not indifferent to us when we were estranged from him because of our sin. We did not have a God who was indifferent to us when we were at war with him and destroying ourselves. No, we have a God that is full of compassion and justice and mercy. And this brings us to our knees in worship. And so this morning, I want us to see four ways that we can respond in worship found in Psalm 146 to a God of compassion and justice to Jehovah, the fatherer of the fatherless. And the first, and you'll see on the screen, is compassion and justice are an act of worship. So we praise the Lord because we are not the rescuers, nor the hope of the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. So the first thing that drives us to worship is it's not about us. We're not the ones that it is reliant upon. It's not dependent upon us, but it's dependent upon God. And so we worship him. Watchman Nee, who was the leader of the Chinese church in the 20th century, said this, everything in our service for the Lord is dependent upon his blessing. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, we're we're not the rescuers. It doesn't depend upon us, but it depends upon the almighty working power of God. I remember when my son Caleb was was little, he's 13 now, but when he was little bitty, he was about two or three. And in the summers, I would go mow the grass. And certainly y'all have seen these. He had one of those little plastic mowers that would go in behind me. And he used to love to push that plastic mower behind me as I would go and do the lines in the grass. And I remember one particular July summer, it was very hot and he was just laboring behind me. And, you know, every time I would wipe my brow, I would look back and he would wipe that brow. Every time I'd get thirsty and and stop the lawnmower and go get some water, he'd go get his water. And I, I remember after finishing that, we come inside, we're hot, we're sweaty and he looks up as a two, three-year-old little boy and looks up in his mom's face and says, Mommy, didn't Daddy and I do such a great job on the yard today? And you know, I wasn't the father who goes, Hey, boy, that was a plastic mower. What are you talking about? I did the work. No, I loved it. 
because my son was wanting to participate in the work. He was wanting to be with his father in doing the work. And here's the truth, beloved, as we talk about caring for the poor, the needy, the outcast, and the orphan. We're the ones with the plastic mower. God's the one with the mower, and we're just following him. And it's a blessing to him to have us join him behind him. You see, it's not dependent upon us, but he wants us there, right behind him, in line with him, in step with him, following after him. It's true worship when it re- we realize it's not by our work that the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless are given hope and ultimate rescue. No, we are called to gospel justice and caring for orphans because we are called to worship and follow our Father. And it's our job to ultimately point the vulnerable, the oppressed, the orphan, and the needy to the Father of the fatherless, our God in heaven. And worldly justice-driven causes, they don't understand this. They don't understand what it really means. It's, it's all about ourselves or looking good. Recently, I was in a meeting with an organization, and I, I won't mention their name, but it's a large organization that funds foster care movements. And one of the things that they're looking to do is to get behind church and Christian orphan care movements because they understand that there's the power of the church and the, the numbers in the church to care for foster children. And so we were, I was actually meeting with them in Dallas, Texas, and one of the things they said is they said, we'll, we will give Lifeline large sums of money if you will continue to, to go forward in foster care and if you'll grow it. And I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. And he said, there's just one thing that we ask. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, we want to make sure the families that you have, they can be Christians, obviously, but tell them they can't proselytize or, or try, to, try to win the souls of these children in their homes. I was like, okay. And then he said this. He said, you see, y'all have got to realize that, that religion is just like a sports team. He's like, if a child comes in your home and they're a Red Sox fan and you're a Yankees fan, you're not going to try to convert them to a Red Sox fan, are you? And so I looked this man in the face and I said, sir, in all due respect, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing on behalf of kids in foster care, but we're not going to be applying for any of your funds. Because here's what I want you to know. To us, faith is all that there is. If we're not pointing these, these children to the, to the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we're really just a clanging cymbal and a loud drum. And that's not what we're called to do. You see, because when we're called to, to gospel-driven causes, it's all about pointing to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that saves, and he's the one that delivers, and he's the one that does the work. I love what Matt Chandler, the pastor of the Village Church, says in Dallas, Texas. He says, to fill empty bellies, to build shelters for the homeless, and to put silver and gold in the cups of beggars without concern for the eternal nature of their souls is an exercise in futility. Our hope should always be the gospel. And that's why Psalm 146 says this in verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. We do not put our hope in man, but we put our hope in God. And so we see why it's foolish to trust in man. Because man is fallible, but it's wise to trust in God because he is limitless. Right? Man is fallible, but God is limitless. Look again at verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 146. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and who keeps faith forever. The psalmist is cautioning us strongly against putting any confidence in man. 
And so in a culture, right, that engages and, and exalts those who are on stage, athletes, leaders, and, and people with that little verified symbol on Twitter, right, we need to be extremely cautious not to place our hope on others. This is what Samuel Chadwick, he was an English theologian and pastor in the 19th century, he said. He said this, he said, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure, A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. The church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a superabundance of machinery, what is wanting in power. To run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, the enterprise, and the enthusiasm for things human. But the real work of the church, it depends upon the power of the Spirit. And so, beloved, the only one who is worthy today of our praise is Yahweh, Jehovah, the Almighty God. He is our help, and His help is immense and it's limitless. We are fallible. We run out of power. We run out of help, but God will never run out of His resources. We cannot make a difference in the lives of the needy and the oppressed without the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, without the power and the intervention of Almighty God. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But then look again at Psalm 146, verse 4. When man, his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Man's days are numbered. And that brings us to the next point. It is foolish to trust in man because man's time is fleeting, but it's wise to trust in God because he is eternal. We see in verse 10 of Psalm 146, it reminds us the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. I had the opportunity while I was in India to do some caregiver training in a Hindu home uh, with, with mostly a Hindu audience. And one of the things that we were told, they have these anti-conversion laws right now that are rampant in India. And you may know folks that have done ministry or missions in India. Compassion International has pulled out of India because of these anti-conversion laws. And our host said, you've got to be very careful. You can quote the Bible, but don't get evangelistic. And so I was praying the night before about how do, I, how do I quote the Bible and how do I be pseudo-evangelistic, right? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what I say, but it matters what the Lord does. And so as I was thinking, and, and I could have gotten in so much trouble for this, but I started thinking about, you know, man is limitless, or is not limitless. Man is, is limited. We're limited by our birth and we're limited by our death. Well, the Hindu believes in reincarnation, so we just come back as something else. But I wanted to make the point that it's really important what we do between our, our birth and our death. And so I was talking to this Hindu audience, and I said, we have, a very, we have a beginning, our birth, and we have an end, our death. And it matters the decisions that we make in between that time. And then I talked about a Bible verse and how we thought it was important to make decisions to care for the poor and the needy. But the truth is the matter, beloved, whether we're Hindu or some other religion, or whether we believe and trust in the Lord God, it is true that we have a beginning and we have an end. What we can do is limited. Our bodies will fail. Our minds will give out. But we have a God that will reign forever. 
and our trust needs to be in him. And we need to build the trust of the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the orphan, and the widow in a God that will not end, in a God that will reign forever. Our time will come and go, but he will be there forever. And that's why our hope needs to be on him. Man's time is fleeting, and it's wise to trust in God because he is eternal. And so we want to we know that God always calls us to something more than we can handle ourselves so that we will trust in his abiding presence. God will always call us to more than we can handle ourselves, yet he will always give us his abiding presence. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And some people take this passage out of context. This is not saying that God won't give you more than you can handle. This is saying God will give you more than you can handle. But he's going to tell you in that moment, he's going to help you rely upon him. And so, beloved foster parent or adoptive parent that's in our midst, I know that adoption and orphan care and foster care is incredibly hard. And you may be sitting in a moment that you have something that's harder than you can handle. And you don't know what to do. I want to give you great hope this morning that you have a God that you can thrust into his, be thrust into his arms. And he can help you. And he will give you what you need. Because he wants you to rely upon him. The gift is in his presence and his power. It's extremely hard work to care for orphans and vulnerable children. Because many times these orphans and vulnerable children, they live in the darkest of places. And when we take the light of the hope of the gospel, the darkness wants to expel the light. And the darkness wants to attack. But the Lord will give you his abiding presence. I love what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, through its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, you are tempted to think that because you're God's child, your life should be easier, more predictable, and definitely more comfortable. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Instead, it reveals that the struggles are part of God's plan for you. This means that if you're God's child, you must never allow yourself to think that the hard things you are now going through are failures of God's character, promises, power, or plan. You must not allow yourself to think that God has turned his back on you. You must not let yourself begin to buy into the possibility that God is not as trustworthy as you thought him to be. You must not let yourself do any of these things because when you begin to doubt God's goodness, you quit going to him for help. You see, you don't run for help to those characters you've come to doubt. God has chosen to let you live in this fallen world because he plans to employ the difficulties of it to continue and to complete his work in you. This means that those moments of difficulty are not an interruption of his plan or a failure of his plan, but a rather an important part of his plan. And so adopted and foster family that's going through difficulty, you have an advocate, and his name is powerful. 
He is the Almighty. We all are called to do justice, but we're not called to do it ourselves. George Mueller said this, he says, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in which is humanly possible. Faith begins where men's power ends. And so in closing this thought that we are not the rescuers nor the hope and that we need to rely upon God, I have to tell you that almost a year ago I joined a gym um, because my sweet wife said uh, that I needed to maybe get a little bit more strength. And so I am a cheapskate. And so I looked for a, a gym that had, you know, zero joining fees and, you know, all the bells and the whistles and the perks. And one of the, the actual, the gym that I had, had a, an hour long personal trainer session and you get this personal workout plan. I was like, well, that's what I need right there. And I went and I met with this guy and his name was Deshaun and friendly guy and uh, starting to share the gospel with him and telling him what I'm doing. And he looks at me at the very beginning. He says, you don't work out much, do you? I was like, Nope, that's why I'm here to see you. <laughs> and so he starts taking me through this plan a little bit. And he goes, you know, buddy, he says, really what you need to do is you need to do some sit-ups and push-ups. And so he wrote on a piece of paper on Monday, I was to do sit-ups and push-ups on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm going to tell you, that's not what I thought a personal workout plan was going to be. And I, I started thinking, I didn't join a gym to do push-ups and sit-ups. I can do that at home. And so I very kindly went to the manager of this gym and I said, you know, I thought I was going to know how to learn to use some of these weights and have like a real workout type of thing. He says, oh, well, that's what you're supposed to get. We'll give you another one. And then the pivotal decision comes. He says, would you like to have your next session with Deshaun or someone else? And so I'm thinking, well, I don't want him to think that I complained against him, even though my wife said, get someone else, get someone else. I said, no, I'll take him. And so I went back for my hour. Well, apparently Deshaun was not too pleased that I was coming back for another free counseling session, personal training session. And so he took me through a workout that lasted an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> At the end of the hour and 45 minutes, it ended because I finally collapsed. And he said, buddy, you don't look good. And I said, I don't feel good. <laughs> he gives me the workout plan. He had taken me through the entire week's workout plan in one morning. <laughs> Beloved, at times it may feel like God is doing that to you. He's just putting it all on you. Every single thing he's putting on you. But I want you to know this morning, we have a God that is too kind to throw everything at you. And he will give you the power. He will give you the strength to overcome everything that is thrown upon you. And so that brings us to our second point. Compassion and justice are an act of worship. So we praise the Lord because he executes justice for the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. Look at this list found in Psalm 146, starting in verse 7. It says, God executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. You see, we have a God of justice who seeks out the vulnerable and the stranger and the orphan and the widow. And we also, this, this passage mirrors Luke chapter 4. You may be familiar, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and to the synagogue. He takes the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2. And then he says these, these words that make the whole synagogue enraged when he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it says he wraps up the scroll and sets it down. This is what Jesus says and reads from Isaiah 61 found in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, there are three specific groups that Jesus mentions. And this also encapsulates this list we see in Psalm 146 that Jesus has come to bring liberty to. Number one, he's come to bring liberty to the captives. Our God fights for the oppressed. He sustains the desolate, and he sets free those who are in bondage. It grieves the heart of our God for his image bearers to be held captive by foreign powers, slave owners, or evil governments. It pains the heart of our God for men and women to be mastered by sin, including the captivity of alcohol, drugs, pornography, perverse sexuality, and gluttony. And this should cause us to, glee, to grieve and mourn as well, but also to be spurred to action. William Wilberforce, who was the emancipator of the slaves in England in the late 1700s and early 1800s, he says this, If to be freely alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. You see, Wilberforce's hope was that the gospel right? The gospel that he was, was preaching, that he would be labeled as a fanatic because he was willing to execute gospel-based justice. And beloved, I want you to know that today you may be a captive, maybe a captive to sin. Maybe you've never placed your hope and your faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that there's good news for you because Jesus didn't come just to release those that were captive physically, but he came to release those that were captive spiritually. Romans 6, 22 through 23. But now you that have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a God that brings liberty to the physically captives, but also leads the spiritually captives to salvation. And number two, God executes his justice by healing for the sick and the blind. You see, Jesus is not indifferent to physical disability and disease. There are those in our midst that are struggling with cancer and pain and incurable diseases. There are orphans around the world that need to be adopted, that are blind, that are deaf, have Down syndrome or Turner syndrome or some other ailment. And God is calling us to advocate for them passionately. When I was in India last week, I was in Calcutta, and we went to this orphanage. It was a Hindu orphanage with Hindu leadership. And it was a very, very dark place. And as we were talking to them, they said, we have this child we'd like for you to find a home for. This child is blind and this child is mute. And we need you to find an adoptive family. And we said, okay. And so they take us on this tour of this orphanage. And one of the saddest things as we would just see these kids piled up in beds and piled around this orphanage is that they had all been marked right on the temple seared as a Hindu. This orphanage was claiming their lives as a Hindu. And then we get to this little girl that they were telling us about that was, that was blind, that was not blind, but deaf and mute. And I noticed that they hadn't marked her. And when we asked, they said, well, we didn't mark her because she's not worthy of being a Hindu. But beloved, that little girl is worthy of our God. Because our God seeks out those who are physically destitute. Our God seeks out those who are blind. Our God seeks out those who are deaf. Our God seeks out those who are mute. Because they are all created in his image. But beloved, our God also seeks those who are blind to unbelief. Acts 26.18 says, 
Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and for the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Our God came to open up the eyes of the blind spiritually, not just the eyes of the blind physically. We have a God who brings healing to the sick and the blind, and this leads us to the third act of justice that Jesus came to bring, validation to the oppressed. Our God is the husband to the widow and the father to the fatherless. He validates the marginalized, the weak, and the oppressed. And our God shows compassion, empathy, and action to those who are powerless and abused. Our God is about liberating people from the oppression and bondage of sin as well. He wants to release orphans and vulnerable children from the oppression and bondage physically, but he also wants to rescue those who are oppressed from the bondage of sin. This is what 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says. It says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Beloved, our God has come to free those who are oppressed. And that brings us to our third point. Compassion and justice are an act of worship. So we praise the Lord because he invites us to participate with him in reflecting his glory to the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. James makes this abundantly clear in James 1.27. He says that religion that is pure and undefiled in the sight of God our Father is this, to look after orphans or to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if I got up this morning and I said, hey, when we look at James 1.27 and the last half of that, to keep oneself unstained from the world, I want you to know that that is a select program for a select few of you in here. Brad would get up out of his seat. He would yank me and put me back in the chair, right? If I said personal holiness is only a call for a few people, we would think that that's, that's, that's hypocrisy. But yet we look at the first part of James 1.27 to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And we say, that's a, for a select few. That's a special program of the church. No, beloved, God has called us all to care for orphans and widows, to visit the marginalized, to care for those who are, who are broken, who, who, are, who are vulnerable. And Psalm 146, 8 reminds us that the Lord loves the righteous. Right in the middle of the list of those that the Lord executes justice for, we are reminded that the righteous, redeemed follower of God is loved by God and supported by God to participate with Him in reflecting His glory to the rest of that list. K. Arthur of Precept Ministries defines the call to reflect the glory of God to others in such a profound way. She says this, she says, We are to live in such a way as to give all of creation a correct opinion or estimate of who God is. We are to live in such a way that we give all of creation a true estimate of who God is. And that's why we are called to participate in caring for the orphan and the widow and the vulnerable and the needy because we are trying to show this dying world what our Jesus is like. That he is caring and compassionate and loving and kind. Paul says it this way to the church at Corinth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
And so he invites us, Jesus invites us into this work of reconciling others to him, of caring for those that are marginalized, of caring for those who are oppressed. But there's two common mistakes that we can make on this mission. And the first is limiting poverty only to the physical. Jesus says in Revelation 3, 17 to 18, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, beloved, the arrogant, self-satisfied, overly indulgent, wealthy American is just as ultimately ultimately poverty and sin-stricken as the rest of the world. And our God is looking to care for those who think they're rich but are really poor and bankrupt because of their sin. Zacchaeus had amassed all the world's riches. Luke 19.2 says that he was a tax collector and he was very rich. However, we know that Zacchaeus was spiritually bankrupt. So we cannot limit poverty to the physical, but know that there are those among us that may look like they are the richest in the land that are, physic- that are spiritually bankrupt. Last week, I was in the home, Pastor Krupa and Hannah in Bangalore, actually exactly a week ago, and they live in a slum, and they're ministering to over 100 kids through their church in a slum, and they're some of the most humble people. Their, their entire bedroom, or their whole entire home that houses eight people is smaller than the master suite that my wife and I use at our home. Yet I'm here to tell you they were some of the richest people I've ever met because they love Jesus they were caring for others, and they absolutely had the joy of our Lord on them. We cannot be mistaken by physical poverty and know that there's also spiritual poverty. But there's the second mistake that we can make, and that's ignoring physical and social poverty. We can ignore physical and social poverty. We cannot sit back and think we're following Jesus when we have no compassion and take no action on behalf of people who are materially in poverty, who are hungry and who are unjustly captured behind iron bars, who are physically afflicted and have diseases like blindness, who are, who are being oppressed by human power brokers or children separated by their parents at the U.S. border. Isaiah 58.10 says this, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom as the new day. 1 John 3, 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We cannot ignore the physically poor and downtrodden around us. We cannot fall into these mistakes. But we must be people who are vigilant about preaching the gospel to the spiritually bankrupt as well as showing the gospel to the physically poor. Our theology is going to affect our biography. What we believe will affect the way that we act. A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. We don't have a shortage today on the teaching of the Word of God, but we have a shortage of application and mobilization. We need not only to talk the talk, but begin to walk out justice for the physically and socially poor. Doing orphan care and other forms of justice is about reflecting the heart of the gospel. 
And we do it in order to reflect the glory that God has come to redeem us. So that brings us to our fourth and last point. Compassion and justice are an act of worship. So we praise the Lord because his gospel is the power of God for the salvation to the vulnerable, the stranger, the fatherless, and the world. Psalm 146.10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. There is life in no other but the God of Jacob. Justice may ne- must never be divorced from gospel proclamation. We can't just do justice and not speak the gospel. Our homes, our neighborhoods, our pocketbooks, and our influence will never make the everlasting change in the hearts and the lives of the fatherless and the vulnerable. But the gospel, it will bring everlasting hope and everlasting victory. As Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, 18 through 19, we also see that Luke's gospel reports in verses 28 and 29, it says this, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him, being Jesus, out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the, of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. You see, Jesus had been saying to them, the kingdom I am bringing is ethnically different than what you think. Your chosen place as Israel has not produced humility and compassion, but pride and scorn. Jesus was saying to them, I'm the end of ethnocentrism. Look to me, learn from me. He says, I've come to redeem a people from every skin shade, from every tongue, from every nation, and not just a few, but many. Jesus was telling his Jewish hometown audience, woe to you for your failure to see that justice and mercy of God is part of his zeal to gather all nations unto himself. You see, while the Jews were looking for a national leader who would make them into the next superpower, they were just looking to make Israel great again, right? Jesus was looking to build a kingdom that would look radically different than something that they would ever think. Faithfully following Jesus would trump ethnicity. See, Jesus came to save sinners no matter of their race, origin, ethnicity, or background. He was building a multi-ethnic kingdom for his glory. So this morning, I want us to know adoption for God was never plan B. It was always plan A. And he was putting us together in a beautiful tapestry of grace from every tribe, every tongue, every language. And so, beloved, we must preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel of this kingdom because physical adoption is not what it's all about. If our children are physically adopted, but they never come to the adoption of the gospel of Christ Jesus, then their lives will come to a dreadful end. But if we preach the gospel of this kingdom, not just here, but around the world, then our lives are of value and our lives are are of meaning. And so as we close, have four quick application points. How can we join the Father to care for the fatherless? Number one, pray knowing that our Father is the true hope. So we can pray. Micah 7, 5 through 7 says this, Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. 
and my God will hear me. We must be stirred to prayer for the fatherless. And we must be stirred to pray to the father of the fatherless. He is their hope and he is their sustenance. And so I want to encourage you to pray for justice for the orphan and the fatherless and the child in foster care. Five quick resources to consider. Number one, Operation World. You can find it online or in a book form, and it it walks you through praying for different nations each and every day. Number two would be Window to the World. It's a kind-friendly version of Operation World. Number three, the Joshua Project. It's an app. It also gives you an email every day that you can be praying for the nations and praying uh, for the vulnerable. Number four, the Voice of the Martyrs app called Pray Today. It gives you ways to pray for the outcast, for the vulnerable, for the needy around our world. And then fifth, I'm going to give you a shameless plug. Uh, Your pastor was actually just on the Defender podcast for Lifeline, but every Monday uh, we give prayer requests both domestically and internationally for orphans around the world. And if you listen to that, you can get some ways to be praying to the Father of the Fatherless on behalf of the poor and on behalf of the needy, the orphan, and the widow. So let us work like it depends on us but pray fervently knowing that it ultimately depends upon God. The second way that we can join the Father to the fatherless, number two, give our time, our talents, and our treasure to the work that the Lord is doing. Start to begin our time, our talents, and our treasure to the work that the Lord is doing. There are so many ways and places to give, but this morning I specifically want to encourage you to give to your local church. And I can with full assurance tell you that this is a church, Crosspoint, that is faithfully utilizing their resources for the outcast, for the needy, and for the spread of the gospel. I have seen it firsthand, and there is no better place today than for you to give your time, your talent, and treasure to this church, because this church is a good steward and is faithfully executing those gifts to spread the glorious gospel here in Columbus, the United States, and around the world. Give. The next way we can join the father to the fatherless is to speak out for the voiceless and to serve wholeheartedly the cause of gospel-driven justice around you. You see, not all of us are called to foster or to adopt, but we're called to do something. And so maybe today you're a, you're a business owner or a restaurant owner. Could you provide discounted meals for foster families? Maybe you're a hairdresser. Could you provide discounted haircuts for children in foster care? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom who loves to cook. Could you cook meals for foster families? Be creative, but be willing to get engaged with the heart of the father to the fatherless. We don't have to serve just by adoption and foster care, but there are other ways that our lives can make a difference. The Lord will make a difference through us if we're faithful just to step out. I love a testimony that we've had recently. We have a a ministry called Families Count. It's a ministry of family reunification where we are helping families that have lost their kids to foster care be reunited with their foster children. And a church in Alabama started to rally around these families and teach them and love on them and mentor them. And this one family, the Steins family, came to Families Count at this local church in Alabama, bitter, resentful, And actually, they tell the story that they were going through this class in order to hit all of the the high marks that this judge had given them so they could get their kids back, and then they planned to get divorced. And through walking life with this church and all these people that were serving them, the Steins family 
came to Christ, their four kids came to Christ, and then nine of their family members came to Christ, and they're still married this day, caring for their children. All the people that wrapped around them, they hadn't adopted, they hadn't fostered, but they stepped out and were willing to be a part and were willing to be engaged. So we need to speak out for the voiceless. And then lastly, number four, the fourth way we can get involved is go to all nations, spreading the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, working together with them, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in a time of great grace and patience. God is withholding his judgment and offering such sweet mercy for our rebellious hearts. But this day of salvation, beloved, will not last forever. There will come a day of judgment when the time of salvation is over. And so, beloved, there's urgency now to preach the gospel of the kingdom. There's urgency now to preach the gospel to those who are perishing. There's urgency in our mission to manifest the gospel to the 153 million orphans of this world. So let this this passage in Psalm 146 wash over us, because there is great hope in the grace of the gospel of Christ Jesus for the vulnerable, for the outcast, for the orphan, for the widow, and for the foster child. Let's pray. Father God, you are the father to the fatherless. You are God in his holy habitation. You are almighty, you are strong, and you are greatly to be praised. Lord, I pray that this message of the gospel would not go out in vain. But if there are men, women, boys, or girls that have heard this message but have never come to saving faith in Christ Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would woo them to yourself, that you would, that you would soften their hearts to your gospel, and that they would know that you are patiently waiting. And this day of salvation is not forever. So, Lord, I pray that they would respond to this glorious gospel. And Lord, for those of us who are called according to your purpose, who are walking after you, who are following after you as our Lord, our Master, and our Savior, may we be spurred to action, to join you in gospel-driven justice. Lord, I I thank you for Crosspoint. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who come and worship and serve through this church. I thank you for this church and the, the difference that they are making around the world. And I pray that you would continue to multiply their resources and multiply their influence so that the gospel would be proclaimed, the gospel would be lived out, and the gospel would be responded to. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.